Good morning. I am your host, Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to the March 15, 2016 edition of Ask a Leader. Today's guests are Harvey Liss. Uh, he's going to bring us up to date with the saga of how clean is the new Portola High School site. Then, culture impresario Henry Korn will treat us to biting satire in his brand new book, American Crazy. Why now? Because it will be showcased at BC Space in Laguna Beach this Sunday, March 20. We'll be right back after a short station break. Welcome back to the show. My first guest returning to the program is Harvey Liss. Originally from the Bronx, Harvey earned his Bachelor of Civil Engineering degree from the Cooper Union in New York City and his PhD in Applied Mechanics at what is now New York University's Tandon School of Engineering. His professional life includes Assistant Professor of Civil Engineering and Applied Mechanics at the Stevens Institute of Technology in Hoboken, New Jersey, and Civil Engineer at an Irvine Consulting Firm where he managed a project for the village of Woodbridge. While on this project, he led the development of one of the earliest computer-aided design and drafting software systems to handle the project's massive size. He later spun off this spotware software development effort into a separate company, VLS Systems, of which he sold his interest uh, later on. A Woodbridge resident, Harvey Liss has been involved in many, many efforts to turn the El Toro Marine Corps Air Station into the Great Park. Over the year of 2014, he served on the Irvine Planning Commission as Larry Agron's appointment. With Harvey's extensive research work and his yen for public activism, he assumed the role of investigative reporter for the Irvine Community News and Views, where he's been writing a series of articles regarding the contamination issues of the site of Irvine's new Portola High School, which is that work is the focus of today's interview. Once again, he joins me in studio. Welcome back to Ask a Leader, Harvey Liss. Thank you very much. It's good to be back here. Well, Harvey, when you last were on this show, you laid out a good deal of science about potential hazards in the ground on the property where Irvine Unified School District's brand new high school was proposed to be constructed. The structure is now nearly complete, and the press is drooling over all the features of the facility. But what what is your concern? What lurks beneath the surface? What lurks beneath the surface is unfortunately unknown throughout most of the site. Where excavations were done for infrastructure, extensive quantities of contaminated soil were found. And uh, the, uh, the major problem is that when the site was approved, it was approved as if it was formerly a farm. There have been lots of forces opposed to testing of the site, I assume for fear of finding contaminated soil, which would certainly have created a great burden on the, on the project. Now, when the project was submitted to the California Department of Toxic Substances Control At as about a farm, what time? How far back? This was in uh, 2014. Actually, okay. the submittal was around 
February of 2014. So just uh, a year ago. Being a farm does not require searching for toxic petrochemicals, diesel oil, aviation fuel, all of those kinds of things. It just means looking for pesticides, herbicides, those kinds of chemicals used in agriculture. And the testing throughout most of it was only done, if you can believe it, six inches deep, and some of the holes were dug three feet deep. This has been continuously to the modern day now as adequate testing of the entire site. Now, it's true, the entire site has been tested, however, not for petrochemicals, not for the kinds of chemicals that were found in massive quantities along Irvine Boulevard in 2014, and then again in massive quantities a year earlier in November of 2013 in what is called the Aguashinon, which is near the about 250 or 300 feet from the, from the site. Now, this entire area is apparently was used by the military. <clears throat> they certainly were not restricted. There are aerial photos that are available to, <clears throat> excuse me, to everyone that show that farming certainly was not happening during the war years. World War II, beginning in 1943, when the base opened, through the Korean War and then part of the Vietnam War. It wasn't really until uh, the 60s. We don't know exactly when the farming began, but there were many, many war years during which farming was not happening. There's a road network, and uh, most likely all kinds of things were, were dumped there, right? And In the military doesn't leave maps behind that say, that say what we've done with um, uh, what, what they've dispense with. Well, that, that's correct. There, there was an official landfill in which lots of toxins were dumped, right? Similar in that area. It's called IRP Site 3, the Navy, Navy terminology. And uh, of course, in those days, there were really no environmental laws. People just dumped whatever. Now, th they certainly wouldn't dump these uh, solvents that they were using where they lived, they wouldn't dump at their feet. They'd drive out to some place that was pretty remote from where there was activity. And typically that was at the end of runways. The end of runways were the most dangerous places. And that's typically where people dumped anything they wanted to get rid of. People certainly didn't hang out at the end of runways. So that, that's a mapping of sorts. So we've, yeah. we've, that's some sort of predictability there. There is some predictability. And uh, talking to several military people, it seemed widely known amongst the military people that that's where nobody wanted to hang out, and that's where everything got, got dumped. So meanwhile, this project is going along, still considered a, a, a farm, notwithstanding my many speeches and presentation of all sorts of documents that uh, indicated the contrary. It seemed that I was the only one reading these documents, or at least me and Larry. Larry Agron, former uh, city council member. And so uh, in uh, finally, in, in August of 2015, Larry wrote a letter to the governor. Now, that has some special significance, mainly because uh, Larry Agron and uh, Governor Brown both campaigned for the presidency in 1992. 
And so I was hoping that there would be some familiarity there, some connection. That's made. a lot of water over the dam, though. That That's sure, way back. But that sure is, but it's very, very difficult to forget that. Yes. And uh, two months later, <clears throat> he gets a letter back from a division chief of the Department of Toxic Substances Control. <clears throat> Excuse me, Dot Lobstrom. And this letter is a response to Larry's letter which is filled with the same sort of misinformation and nonsense that had been spread from the earliest days. Larry gave me the letter, asked me to respond to it, and I responded in depth. Each item of misinformation I refuted with a reference, and I attached the reference. I had 10 documents, all public information. Anybody can read these darn things. Refuting exactly what was said in this letter to, to Larry. My letter I sent in November 6th of 2015. And at the same time, we had formed a committee, Test for Toxics. And we have a website, testfortoxics.org, Committee of Concerned Residents. It was obvious that we're going to have to mobilize the residents. It was really getting time for, as they say, torches and pitchforks. If you've seen Young Frankenstein, kind of, that's what the community runs up to the castle with pitchforks and torches, and they're going to make things happen, get rid of that ogre that's, that's in there. In any case, uh, I sent this letter simultaneously to the director of the DTSC, Barbara Lee, and the secretary of the California EPA, Matthew Rodriguez. And... Uh, <clears throat> I got an immediate response from Chief Lofgren by email, who acknowledged receipt of this and said that she would read the documents that I provided over the next uh, week or so. There was certainly a lot of reading to, to be done there. And thus began a series of communications between me and Dot. She wanted me to call her. She insisted I call her Dot. So I, I did that. And then after a few weeks, Finally, she told me that it's pretty obvious that uh, she doesn't really have time to go through this stuff. She's going to assign the project to another geologist in uh, Northern California to be unbiased. And, uh, and so it happened. She sent all the documents up to this uh, geologist. And then... A geologist with the, the, the DTSC control. Yeah, presumably. I mean, okay. she didn't specify, but I assume in, their jurisdiction. in another mm-hmm. regional office. And then, lo and behold, on March 2nd, Larry receives another letter, this time signed by Barbara Lee, the actual director of the Department of Toxic Substance Control, and also under the auspices of uh, uh, Matt Rodriguez from the California EPA. This letter was an incredible breakthrough because it had a detailed specification of what went wrong up to that point. That is, it said that designating the site as a farm was incorrect. They pointed to the photos, the same photos that I submitted with my letter to Dot uh, six weeks earlier or two months earlier, and the same rationale, and it was declared that that was an erroneous designation. It was obviously uh, for military use, and they need to do a complete testing program 
In fact, this letter even specified at a depth of between 16 and 20 feet. It had a list of all sorts of protocols, which really didn't mean very much to me, but it was highly specific about what had to be done on the, on the site. We were delighted. In fact, we had a little party. Okay. So I just... For those of you who want to know that that lovely, uh, the extensive answer is given by my guest, local activist and retired engineer Harvey Liss here on Ask a Leader at KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and streaming on the web at KUCI.org. And we're talking about the status of the Irvine Unified School District property upon which Portola High School is being built. Well, I as I read the updates now in our local press about the... Um, this oversight now to test the soil. Um, the I'm getting a split kind of an impression about whether it's a, a confirming of what the school district's findings were, or is this a deeper probe? So would you break down? See the the concerns agent the concerns of the agency are the November 2014 samples, the smelly ones as they're known, uh, the former military use, prior sampling of volatile uh, organic compounds. Or so is this a is this, does it look like it's going to confirm what already was uh, found by the consultants for the Irvine School District? Or does this, as you say, actually proffer a, a deeper sinking of testing, a change from the agricultural to a, the former military use kind of review? I'll explain. First, it sounded like you said maybe retarded engineer rather than a retired engineer. In no, any case, no, stop. In any case, I'm neither one of those because obviously I'm not retired. I'm still pretty engineering, active yes. doing engineering type stuff and I expect to do that until I'm dead probably. What happened after we received this uh, incredible mar March detailed specification and directive on March 2nd, a couple of days later what was posted on the IUSD website was an email from Dot Lofstrom, this same woman who was going to be responsible for overseeing this project to the school district, completely minimizing the letter that was sent by her boss, in effect saying they're not going to do any of that stuff. She thought that the previous testing was completely adequate. Now remember that the previous testing was no testing, none at all for petrochemicals. So what she's saying is that it doesn't so have to be tested for petrochemicals. She completely negated this letter, letter from her boss. And she was interviewed in the Times Daily Pilot combination on uh, March 11th, I believe. Right. And uh, uh, she completely uh, negated the letter. She said exactly the same thing, that she thought the testing was adequate. It's not a matter of uh, health and safety. Obviously, it's entirely a matter of health and safety. What else should we be concerned about but health and safety of the folks that are going to be occupying that school? So we're getting mobilized again because obviously they have no intention of following the directive of that letter that came on March 2nd from Barbara Lee and Matt Rodriguez. So we wrote another letter back to Barbara Lee. It's going to be mailed today, an email today, and sent uh, by some fast way as well, explaining what's happening here. And it looks like their directive is not going to be followed. And we included all of the information that we've heard, the information about the interview with the Daily Pilot, this email, etc., and we'll see what happens here when they find out that their directive is not being followed. Well, in a, in a shorter order, if you could, Harvey, uh, could you now be straight with us about how might this resemble the hazards that we're hearing about 
for quite a while now in various sites around Los Angeles, the Belmont School site, the Exide Waste Facility in the Boyle Heights area, and so many other places. How, what about this is distinctly familiar with those themes of people realizing it was too late, the exposures happened? What is proactive about, obviously you're being proactive, even though there is a facility that's nearly completed for opening in August of 2016, but, but what might be the really hard science similarities that you're seeing between what's probing here at the El Toro, former El Toro Marine Base, and those places that b- turned out to be quite toxic in the Los Angeles area? Well, the similarities seem to be total. All of these folks seem to be using the same playbook for what to do. It's uh, hiding, spreading misinformation, uh, more, more hiding, denial, and then ultimately it's exposed. Either it's exposed because people start getting sick or because some secret, formerly secret documents are revealed. What distinguishes this now is that there's nobody occupying the school and the school isn't complete. Now with Belmont, the school was uh, not occupied yet either, except they had to tear down about half the school and I think it cost them about $126 million. The question here is when they do the testing, they're going to have to drill through concrete foundations through parking lots, whatever they have built there to do testing. And the more they build, the more expensive it's going to be to do the testing. Well, it would have sure. been would have been very cheap a year ago before there was anything there when I made a presentation before the, the school board. And in fact, before they even closed escrow, when they had a fabulous chance to investigate the area. And, and I estimated, well, the estimate actually came from an environmental firm to do a hundred soil gas test wells would have cost about $100,000, which is nothing compared to the $300 million that's going to be spent on the school by the time it's, it's finished. And now the cost keeps increasing and increasing, the difficulty. If anything is found, certainly the opening date of September 16th or whatever. Actually, it's August. August. It's going to open, yeah, the, the month before school ring bell, the bells ring. It's, it would seem to me very unlikely that that's going to be, be the case. And if it's not tested wow. now, it'll be tested as soon as the first students or faculty start complaining about a disease, and it will be unknown whether that disease is coming from what's buried underground or not. But that's a delayed reaction where those diseases start to register. I just want to know, Harvey, whether neighbors, uh, whether prospective high school enrollees and their households, are they coalescing with you about more oversight here? Are you hearing from them? Are they joining Yes, we're you? hearing from them. Really? We Tell have, us about that. Well, we have a, uh, a, a petition with about 2,200 people that signed. From there, too? From there, uh, asking the school board to test the site. We have about 600 people that actually wrote in comments, some rather detailed. Wow. And we have uh, comments from about 60 people who said they will not send their kids or grandkids to that, to that school. Actually, that is not making into the press, though. I, don't, I haven't been hearing about that. So, uh, no, they probably wouldn't want to publicize those because that would be damaging. But the uh, folks that we write these letters to up uh, north in Sacramento do know about that, and that could be part of the reason why we're getting the response that we've gotten from the top, the top officials. But, but, of course, the denial is uh, substantial from the local folks. So we're looking at this, uh, the Portola High School site, and it's extraordinary, the, the, I would call it the dirt politics, <laughs> that uh, 
there's the toxicity of the soil and then there's the cemetery. It's, it's a taboo uh, use that uh, concerning certain ethnicities that are being marketed in that area. So, and we see in the marketing of the Lennar homes, the Great Park neighborhoods, residences, that uh, the high school is just down the, the road. So it seems to be like a formidable kind of momentum that the builder, with a lot of clout in the city of Irvine, is trying to maintain to keep eyes on the, the really well-appointed new school campus and eyes off of what is in the dirt. That's right. And it's worth uh, many, many hundreds of millions of dollars, billions to, to the developer to not have this publicized or made public. And of course, the, the developer has infinite, virtually infinite resources to mount this vast misinformation campaign. So I think it's uh, important that for listeners who are feeling uh, on the helpless side here amidst this sort of oversight underestimation here. So you've given us the test for toxics. That's spelled out for F-O-R. F-O-R, yes. Testfortoxics.org. And do you, are you looking for more letters to be sent up to Sacramento? And to whom should people be writing those letters to join the other ones that are already up there? Well, info at testfortoxics.org. It's on the website. Any of those comments will come directly to me, and I'll certainly assemble them. And, you and send the more we up? get from irate residents, the better, because obviously we're at that time. So that's the residents have uh, budding the high school. Well, yes, the other thing that more weight than that anyone around the city. Resi residents are realizing who are in that attendance boundary that their kids are going to be going to that school. They're just starting to wake up now. And as it gets closer to the school, they're going to pay closer and closer attention to that. Okay. And what we're trying to do is to encourage people to write to the school board asking them for reassignment because they don't want their kids to go to that school until the site is fully tested. Well, Harvey, According I'm, to this March 2nd directive. Yes. Well, I'm going to uh, keep open for a return visit with any updates on this later on. It could be just within a quarter of the year. I want to thank you. Harvey List for joining us here on Ask a Leader. Harvey List, a not retired, a fully uh, th throttled up engineer and local activist here in the city of Irvine talking about the Portola High School site and what lurks below the, the surface. Thanks for being on the show today. I was pleased to be here. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. This is Ask a Leader on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Welcome back to the show. My next guest is Henry Korn, who's recently released American Crazy, a biting, densely written romp for, for times such as this. It's published by Bafo Sacco Books. Henry's professional life is a bulging portfolio of a scrappy and an ever-so-literary emissary. Henry Korn earned his B.A. in liberal arts at Johns Hopkins University and has a, a, lots of nods in, in American Crazy. And 
Uh, Johns Hopkins, he's invariably cut his teeth on wordsmithing at that university's undergraduate newspaper. Henry's put in over 40 years, perhaps 50, eh, Henry, to cultural arts direction all around the United States. He had several goes at putting Irvine on the fine arts and innovation map in his capacity as the manager of arts, culture, and heritage at the Orange County Grade Park and previously the culture affairs manager of the city of Irvine in the early 1990s. Henry previously served as the director of the Poway Center for the Performing Arts Foundation, director of arts and culture, city of Beverly Hills, president of the Guild Hall of East Hampton, that's Eastern Long Island's cultural center, arts commission director for the city of Santa Monica, executive director, Lower Manhattan Cultural Council, and administrator of New York's Jewish Museum. His uh, earlier books include Muhammad Ali Retrospective. I recommend you find that on YouTube, everybody. Uh, exact Change, Short Fiction, Mark Chagall, From the Desk of Dr. No, and Pontoon Manifesto, as well as he appears in a host of selected anthologies. He comes to us today from Pasadena, I must say the Rosebow Pageant-themed park. Today we shall hitch on to the wild ride that Henry so nimbly sends us packing. Welcome back to Ask a Leader, Henry Korn. Thank you, Claudia Shambaugh. Okay, well, the reviews are rolling in. Dr. Patricia Hartz is the writing program director emeritus here at our uh, School of Humanities, characterizes Henry's debut novel, satire novel, as a fearless, wildly creative, and rollicking ride through an absurd but painfully familiar landscape of American culture that smacks ruling class bastards right proper. Or, and Dr. Spence Olin, also emeritus and with the humanities, American crazy is a zany, hard-charging, tasty concoction laced with substantial doses of passion and legitimate rage combining darkness with hilarity. Or, I would like to say, I see it as the love child between Kurt Vonnegut and Hunter S. Thompson. Well, congratulations on this book, Henry. Well, thank you so much, Claudia. Just to be used in the same sentence with uh, Kurt Vonnegut and Hunter S. Thompson is uh, a wonderful thing for me. Well, one one little thing I want to say, uh, get out of the way, I think, you know, uh, the... I see the advantages of writing a historical novel. You're off the hook with writing an index, right? Well, that's for sure. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, only, however, if the reader is under the age of 60, uh, annotations of the back would anchor down your ensemble cast. It doesn't quite, you know, they don't, re- re- aren't necessarily familiar with American crazy. So uh, the temptation, Henry, is for us to consider that these passages are drawn from your questioning, your ranting, reacting to fascism on both sides of the Atlantic, both sides of America. Tell us what you're drawing from here in American Crazy. Well, I'm drawing from the idea that the uh, corporate uh, interests have successfully captured virtually every square inch of mental and physical space on the planet. And I am trying to show in my book how all of us who grew up in the Cold War period and beyond are, in a sense, post-traumatic stress disorder sufferers. And uh, that's the reason for the uh, fact that um, the principal characters in the book uh, have been, uh, are, are mad. They've been driven crazy by the culture, and they are describing the experience and the process through that uh, caused them to fall apart. And there's one line in there that I have to, to set it up. I, I am going to give you a chance to do some reading, but the, and in this you say, it's page 102 for those who are racing to try to find your copy, that uh, 
unregulated capitalism in the hands of corporations like Founding Fatherland was rapidly turning historical realities from landmarks to insipid architectural jokes. You said a lot in that mouthful like you do all over this book, Henry. Well, there's an inevitability in the situation that our country currently finds itself in, in which uh, corporations can pretty much uh, do as they please. After all, uh, we're in a time when uh, the Supreme Court in uh, the year 2000 unilaterally declared George Bush the president. And then that power was used to subvert the uh, Civil Rights Act, and uh, it was used, uh, and which uh, discourages voting, and it was used to unleash secret corporate money to control the political process. And, you know, a developer is a developer, and uh, Founding Fatherland Park is an iconic developer that uh, ruthlessly crushes all conceivable aspects of uh, human spirit and activity and replaces the previous reality with a new artificial reality, which is pointedly controlled for the purpose of, uh, of political and uh, economic progress by the, uh, the ruling class. And that, that privatization, I'm just recalling now a, an experience conveyed to me that captures that right to the, like down to the molecular level almost, that when one walks about one of our themed shopping centers near the El Toro Y, that if you take a picture, you must take a picture at that particular mall. You must fill the picture up with your people, not make the backdrop the uh, the shopping center because it's considered... A, a copywritten kind of design scheme. So, I, you know, that's sort of like this is the extreme of privatization. Yes, and, uh, you know, from a corporate perspective, there's no corporation that uh, historically has been more protective of its own uh, copyrights uh, than the Disney Corporation, which is, at least in the past, famous for uh, chasing whomever might, in, in, in their view, infringe on uh, their copyrights, which are now... Uh, fortunately running out and uh, expiring and will give people an opportunity to, like me, to satirize the uh, iconic developers who have eaten the world. So instead of an anani mouse, you're going, you can actually name the mouse. Name the dog. Well, the mouse name. in the book is named Anonymous, and he perpetually wears a, a black band over his eyes so that he doesn't see the extent to which uh, he's a mirror in which a citizen... Uh, are uh, invited to step inside his uh, optimistic and happy-go-lucky attitude and uh, accept all of the impossible conditions of uh, everyday life willingly. So American Crazy, folks, it's spelled American with the K, crazy with the K. It's uh, This letter, K, carries quite a bit of freight. Tell us what you're calling on. Well, the title American Crazy is really a nod to several... Uh, sources that are relevant to the book. Uh, the first is Franz Kafka, and who better than Franz Kafka in uh, depicting uh, the subsumation of individuality? And I'm thinking about books like The, uh, the Castle and, uh, uh, and, and other uh, works. And at one point, uh, about uh, 70 or 80 years ago, Franz Kafka 
wrote a book about America, and it was entirely imaginary because he had never visited America. And, of course, as a German, he spelled America with a K, and that was the title of the book. What's the title? Uh, America uh, uh, with, with a K. Uh, That is the title. Oh, right. That's what you yeah. said. Oh, my goodness. So and uh, then in the 60s, uh, when Abby Hoffman and Paul Krasner uh, founded the uh, Yippie Movement, uh, they uh, frequently employed the term America right. to com- right. connote the uh, coming uh, fascist domination of American society. So uh, my title is really a reference to uh, both those historical facts. For those of you who just joined us, you're tuned to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and streaming on the web at KUCI.org. You're listening to Ask a Leader, and my guest for this portion of the hour is Henry Korn, cultural impresario and self-described dark analyst of contemporary culture who's recently penned a riotous satire entitled American Crazy, published by Bafo Sacco Books, the subject of today's interview. Well, with more theme parks than one mind can keep track of in American Crazy, I couldn't help but wonder if you had contemplated the wreckage of the cultural wars in our very own little sandbox. The the great park which seems to be dissolving in plain view, the creative fair that the community used to savor, you presided over some pretty wonderful enterprises, Henry, inside and outside the great park. Is, was that fodder? Was it inspiration? Is this a clarion call? Is this an Irish wake? Are we sitting Shiva ringside? I saw I, I, I saw and was affected deeply by the irony of Orange County, in a sense, being the uh, center of the theme park mentality, because way before Disneyland, there was Knott's Berry Farm and all of these other innumerable uh, artificial experiences that are so uh, prominent in the, in the cultural life of, uh, of that county. Uh, but it was no surprise to me that uh, once the powers that be in Irvine unleashed a developer that seemingly had no scruples and no values, which is pretty much the mental condition of, of the development class, and Mr. Trump is an excellent example of that, the, uh, all of the uh, tricks of the trade were employed to the extent that uh, uh, artificial uh, citizens groups were created uh, by the developer, uh, lots of money passed around to uh, political circles and influential uh, charitable institutions that uh, combined enabled a kind of a corporate leveraged buyout of a public project. And uh, the reason for that is that the dollar is king and Citizens United protects the, uh, the secret money that uh, enables these things. And uh, by virtue of that, uh, the current uh, regime at City Hall uh, really became a kind of a King Midas in reverse, uh, turning gold into, uh, dare I say it, uh, uh, excrement to the extent that they took uh, $1.5 billion of uh, public land and turned it into, uh, uh, magically turned it into $168 million of a, of a private development that uh, perhaps the greatest uh, slap in the face at all to the environmental movement that was so prominent in uh, supporting the Great Park is the uh, institution of a golf course on public land. I mean, uh, that not only is an environmental anathema, but also a uh, ridiculous uh, uh, 
in the context of Orange County, which has more golf courses than you could shake a golf stick at. Um, so uh, this was uh, inevitable uh, once these uh, unregulated uh, capitalists were uh, given permission to work their will on on a public asset. There you have it, folks. This uh, What's rolled into American crazy. Um, it's time of the show where I, as the hostess, I'd summon you up, uh, ask you to summon up these characters by your reading and excerpt. Could you uh, give us not nothing that we can that we have to pay a fine for, an FCC? <laughs> uh, could you give us an excerpt, Henry Corn, please? Well, I, I'd be happy to. Please, and I'm going to read you a short excerpt that I think will do a good job of uh, standing alone without burdening your listeners with a, a lot of context. Uh, one of the main characters in the book is uh, coincidentally named uh, Herb Horn. Uh -huh. And uh, Herb Horn is an artist and a writer and uh, a secret fantasizer about setting things to right by uh, taking uh, direct actions uh, in terms of the uh, political establishment. And uh, this excerpt is... Uh, uh, from his uh, mo innermost uh, thoughts about himself and the world that uh, he is in. So Herb Horn's Secret Diary excerpt, Chapter 27. Okay. Nobody can stop me from making my sculptures. There are no obstacles to getting them done. On an evening in early spring in Southern California, children are not yet sleeping. As April wanes, moon-driven winds wash the heavens in lavender light. Having collided with my desk drawer yesterday, my knee has a lump the size of a hard-boiled egg. Drug palate, gums reduced by dental scalpel, institutional colonoscopy, Motrin madness, sudden empowerment, grand ideas, exchanged confidences, contrived alliances, big deal on Nirvana Street, halo of neon above the endless traffic, density flirting with the lunar winds, Lines of airplanes thick as cars follow each other up and down all hours of the day and night. I drive the I-5. I see a highway in the sky. As jet after jet screams into Lindbergh Field, I feel the power of Southern California drawing energy all from all over the planet. Somebody stop me from making these sculptures and driving this car till it crashes. I'm singing a song and nobody can stop me. I see a chain of red taillights stretching to the horizon. Now everybody's stopping everywhere. Now somebody's stopping me from making my sculptures. Make me somebody, pleaded Sam Guyancana to Judy Campbell while he hunted the head of Dr. Castro. You're nobody until somebody loves you, hums the Chicago Godfather. Nobody can stop me from telling the truth about what I saw that day in Dallas. Rats in the Dealey Plaza storm drains, puffs of smoke from behind the picket fence, the ruse at the school book depository. Nixon says it all goes back to the Bay of Pigs. We were running a damn murder incorporated in the Caribbean, said LBJ. I stand at the gates of the Soviet embassy in Mexico City, wondering when to make my move. I've been 10,000 miles to the mouth of a graveyard. I saw Jack Ruby's dachshunds peeing on Earl Warren's grave. I saw Joe DiMaggio slug a reporter. I heard Robert Kennedy call Sam Guyancana a fag. I saw Alpha 66 gunrunners blow up a Soviet ship in Havana Harbor. I saw invasion maneuvers in Lake Pontchartrain swamps. I saw Marilyn Monroe morph into a mushroom cloud. I saw 58,000 dead Americans piled up like cordwood and Confederate sharpshooters running in the sewer tunnels under the railroad yard. Bada bing, bada boom, Momo, smashing the pumpkins, blood all over the limo, 
Sinatra Nation, land of power, basks in the limelight. Kill the head, you kill the dog, said Carlos to Sam to Santos. And three can keep a secret when two are dead. It's Basserhun's world. I just live in it. Will somebody please remove the stone from my shoe? I stare into Arlington Cemetery's eternal flames. I bear any burden. I pay any price. Still crazy after all these years. So what a string of rich associations, folks. This is in Henry Korn's American Crazy. It's the one of the last, one of the few, the, the ending chapters in his satirical. I'm calling it historical novel. It's because it's loaded with history. Just it's a it's got metaphor after metaphor that make it a, a, a satire that that sort of tilted away from the standard bearer of uh, historical fiction. But is, wouldn't you still call it historic fiction? Well, I, I, a, a small quibble with you uh, is that I think historical fiction uh, attempts to create a more of a, a conventional historical reality where I'm trying to create a hyper-mega-historical reality in uh, showing how that history affected uh, my, uh, my major characters. Fair enough. So I would, I'd characterize it more as a, a speculative fiction or science fiction that is at its basis uh, realistic, because after all, it's the job of science fiction to make us see present reality in a different way. Correct. Okay. Uh, for example, I had a professor once who said to me uh, that uh, when he read in a Kurt Vonnegut novel about a man uh, rolling up leaves and uh, a piece of paper and smoking it, that he never uh, could think of a cigarette uh, uh, in the same way after he read that. So in a sense, I'm trying to okay. unmask, the, unmask the culture, rip the mask off of the, uh, the veneer of the, of the culture in the context of a, of a fictional story that is rooted in, uh, in, in historical reality. And folks, you will be treated to Henry Korn Live when he is going to be featured at... Laguna Beach's B Space this Sunday. If you're listening to us live here, it's this Sunday. It's March 20th, where uh, Mark Chamberlain, the Vernal Equinox host and the owner of BC Space, is going to be presenting American Crazy Life Out of Balance. And besides Henry's readings, there'll be 23 notable Southland artists' work uh, showing there, and it'll start at 10, uh, 2 o'clock. Henry will be reading at 2 o'clock. And then after that reading, there will be a discussion period on how the original grand dream for the transformation of the former Marine Corps base has changed from a public serving project into a corporate theme park, sports complex, and housing development that mirrors what we see in reading the book, Founding Fatherland, depicted so well in the book. Well, Henry, um, I'd like to know if um, what kind of a project are you tackling next? Well, I'm going to write another novel, Claudia, uh, f- as foolish as that probably is in terms of Please the do. Uh, uh, effort that uh, writing novels requires. It's extraordinary how much uh, information you have to hold in your head simultaneously when uh, you <laughs> write a novel to have everything make sense. But at any rate, uh, my next novel is going to be called Zionista, and it's going to tell the story of a former utility infielder who played for a team in the uh, Catskill Mountains Ah. called the House of Ezekiel, who uh, finds himself on a perpetual road trip when he goes to Israel in uh, 1948 
to play baseball after almost being killed uh, in a uh, an anti-Semitic riot uh, in uh, Westchester County, uh, New York. And uh, so he's playing for the uh, uh, playing uh, in Israel and. Uh, over the course of time, he becomes a folk singer and a soldier and uh, eventually a homeless street performer because I was really interested in the idea of, you know, what if you spend your whole life uh, longing for a home and you actually reach that home and then you find yourself uh, homeless uh, in the homeland. And uh, in a sense, I'm going to try in the novel to present uh, a kind of a out-of-left-field uh, alternative Jewish reality that probably owes a lot to uh, Philip Roth and uh, Michael Chabon's uh, Yiddish Policeman's Union, maybe Shoeless Joe by Kinsella, and uh, a book called Jerusalem Syndrome by the comedian Mark Maron. You know, I got to say, while you're putting all of these references so richly together, you are a walking billboard for what reading gets you, folks. If you don't read, you're not going to have all of this material ruminating and coming out with even more new ideas. And Henry, you're, I, I can tell you read uh, every breathing moment. And it's, and as I said earlier about American Crazy, that there's, it's on an ensemble cast, ensemble uh, ideas and uh, history put together. Uh, it, it's so rich. Uh, it's, it's, it's a great, great promotion of the value of reading. <laughs> well, you so, I, 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 completely agree uh, that uh, reading is part and parcel of the writing process, and it's probably uh, the most pleasurable thing that I can do to take up my hours, uh, and, and it's certainly uh, two, it's two sides of the same coin, reading and writing. I get that. And so I want to thank you, Henry Korn, for coming on the show today. My guest was Henry Korn, cultural impresario, the writer of the most recently his most recently released book American Crazy published by Bafo Sacco Books Henry will be the guest uh, the guest art the leading artist presented at Mark Chamberlain's BC Space in Laguna Beach American Crazy Life Out of Balance at 235 Forest Avenue Henry starts off the program this Sunday March 20th at 2 p.m. Henry, I can't wait to see you at this event. It's uh, the Vernal Equinox. It's like it's going to be a church service for us. And uh, uh, thank you so much for your time today. It's been such a pleasure, Claudia, and I can't believe how quickly the time has gone. It's over. So, but <laughs> but the book, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to more passages because it's just it's so layered, it's so rich, it's so dense. So, uh, thanks so much again for being on the show. Thank you. So that was my wrap. Next week. We are going to bring on a, a trio advocating for the Costa Mesa's share of affordable housing and current, the current legal challenge to maintain existing housing stock. Kathy Esfahani of the Costa Mesa Affordable Housing Coalition and Cesar Covarubias and Linda Tang of the Kennedy Commission will be my guests. Talk with you next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. <laughs>